0: First first of all, I want to say thank you very much for the invitation to have spoken here last night and then again this morning. I find the the Asian-Pakistani-Indian community to be the most hospitable community in the world. I mean, they just really take care of every detail of your life, and uh, uh, so I really appreciate the kind of care and attention that you, you've shown toward, toward uh, uh, me and toward Shireen while we've been here. Today we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 15 verse 11. Luke chapter 15 verse 11. And this is a story that Jesus told, a parable, and the, the part in the beginning of Luke chapter 15 that it talks about is that there were sinners and there were tax gatherers coming all around Jesus. And there were some religious men that we're saying, look at Him, He, he, he deals with, with tax gatherers and sinners. Look at Him. Look what He's doing. So in response to that, Jesus told several parables. So that's the context of why Jesus is teaching this, is because He was being judged by those who judged Him for His reaching out to sinners and tax gatherers, being the, 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 the most hated among the community. And so in Luke chapter 15, verse 11, it reads, And he said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, And he began to be impoverished. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. And no one was giving him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am here dying of hunger? Okay, so we'll stop there and we'll just begin to unpack this a bit. So a man had two sons. What we're going to see is each of those two sons had a problem. He says, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the inheritance that falls to me. Now this is a very unusual thing. This is like a man, a young man telling his father, You can just drop dead. Because you're not supposed to get your inheritance until the father dies. But he's saying, I want it now. And remember, he is the younger of the two. And so he is to get one third. The older, getting a double portion in Israel, will get two thirds. So he divided his wealth between them. So he divided the wealth to the two sons. He wasn't going to just give to the one without the other. He divided his wealth between them. And it says, and not many days later, the young son gathered everything together and went on a journey to a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Not many days. I looked up what the the original Greek said and it said not many days, exactly what it says here. So in other words, it was not a period of months. This thing was pre-planned. I want your money. I want it so that I can do with it what I want to do. And he went to a distant country. And he squandered it. And it says in verse 14, Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished. So after he spent everything, boom, then the famine hits. It's like sometimes in life, just one blow after another after another. And it just stacks up. And when we walk in rebellion, that's particularly how it is. As soon as he had run out of money, a famine hits. So he went in verse 15, he hired himself out to one of the citizens and they sent him into the fields to feed swine. So this is from a young man from a well-to-do family, had everything, squandered it, and now he's sent into the fields to feed swine. So being a, a young Jewish man, this is of course quite disgusting to him, but that's all he can do. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, but no one was giving anything to him. So his boss didn't even let him eat some of the pods. Uh, uh, Uh-uh-uh, not for you. It's for the swine. The world is a hard taskmaster. When you leave the security of God and deny that and go into the world, the world can be a very hard taskmaster. And I have seen it many times. I went to college at the age of 18 And I have never left. So I've seen thousands of students. Worked with many hundreds if not thousands of them. And I see this. You leave the security of God and things begin to unravel. And the world is a difficult taskmaster. You think, oh well I can go in, I can handle myself. But one blow after another will begin to take you down. It says in verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough, to, enough bread, but I'm dying with hunger. And he realized even his father's hired men have more than he has now. So in verse 18 of Luke chapter 15, it says, I will get up, I will go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was he he was lost and he has been found, and they began to celebrate. So the son says, he says he came to his senses. It, he came to his senses. And sometimes the world has a way of doing this for us. It can be such a hard task, Master. We come to our senses. What am I doing? He says, I'll just get up, go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and earth. I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and no longer am I worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. But look, even in his repentance to his father, he's gonna place demands. Make me what, like one of your hired men. He didn't say, I'll say to my father, make me like one of your slaves. He said, make me like one of your hired men. Yeah, I am I was bad, but I'm not that bad. So he got up, he went to his father. And while he was still a long way off, it says his father saw him. A long way off. A long way off his father saw him. So you wonder, was the father looking for his son all the time? Looking for the return of his son. He saw him a long way off. You can't see a face from a long way off. But I know my sons, just by the way they walk. I can tell that it's my son. That's my son. I can tell better by the way he walks from a long distance than, than by his face. He saw his son and he says in verse 20, So he got up and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion for him, and ran and embraced and kissed him. Again, a very unusual thing. Middle Eastern men, certainly in those days, did not run. Now they run. Now they exercise. You know, They put on shorts and they run. But they didn't run. Running was for children. It's not a thing of dignity. Why don't I just kind of look away? I see him far away coming back. He doesn't look like he's in very good shape. I'll just kind of turn away and just kind of whistle and let him come here and grovel a little bit. You know, there was a study done of children from believing homes that fell away from the faith and went into the things of the world and they studied these children that had fallen away and many of them never came back to the faith and many of them came back to the faith of their parents. What was the deciding factor in making some come back and others not come back? The major deciding factor was this. That those that came back were welcomed back without condition. You are my child, you will always be my child. And you will always be welcome. And those that didn't come back were those that had conditions put upon them to win back. favor of their parents. I've told my children many times, you are my child, you will always be my child and I will always love you and that cannot change. I want them to know my love for them is forever. Just because you are my child, I will love you forever. This father looked upon His son, he felt compassion. He ran to him, he embraced him, and he kissed him. Remember what this son had been doing. Feeding swine, cleaning up after pigs. His father embraces him, kisses him. This is the demonstration of the very love of God that Jesus is talking about through this parable. He embraces us, he kisses us when we return to him. And then we even hit him with stipulations. Well, you know, I'm not that bad, but you know I got into a few bad things. How about taking me back? And he doesn't make us grovel. He embraces us and he kisses us. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He didn't even get out the second sentence saying make me like one of your hired men. The father cut him off. But the father said to the slaves, quickly, bring out the best robes, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. The father didn't even make him grovel, didn't even make him make the request. He said, you're my son. None of this, let me be as one of your hired men stuff. None of that. You are my son. This is the love of God that welcomes us back. Each of us, the scriptures say, has gone astray. But he welcomes us back. He says, put the best robe on him. The best robe. In other words, go to my closet. Get my robe and put it on him. And you can't just put this nice robe on a dirty body. They had to clean him up. His body was covered with welts and sores and sunburn. Cover that up, he said. Put my robe on him. Put my ring on his hand. Get sandals on his feet. Clean up his feet. He says, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. A fattened calf. Fattened ready. Let us celebrate. My son was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. The Lord welcomes us back. The Scriptures define us as being dead, as we discussed last night. When we're without Him, we are dead. That is the scriptural description of us. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, the Scriptures say. He was lost, He's been found, He's come to life again, and they began to celebrate. It says in Luke chapter 15, that same chapter verse 10, In the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of angels, of the angels of God, over one sinner who repents. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Sometimes this is read as if the angels are rejoicing, but that's not what it says. It says there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is God rejoicing. God is rejoicing. And the angels are watching God rejoice at the return of one to Him. This is the heart of God. Verse 25 of Luke chapter 15. Now his older son was in the field. And when he came and he approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and he began, began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he, said, but he answered and he said to his father, look. For so many years I've been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who came, this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you've been with me always, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. This is the heart of God. Remember, in Luke chapter 15, this starts out because there's sinners, the worst of people coming to Jesus and He's loving them. And then there's others of the righteous looking people that are judging Him for this, saying, look, He just attracts these Sinners, tax gatherers. And now he dealt with the sinner part. He said, I love them. They're returning. I love them. Now he's dealing with the self-righteous ones. This is the other problem that we suffer with. We suffer with self-righteousness at times. He says his older son was in the field in verse 25. He came and he said, what's all the music going on in the house? And one of the servants came and said, you know, your brother's come back. Your father killed a fattened calf and then we're seeing them safe and sound and they're celebrating. It says in verse 28, but he became angry and was not willing to go in. He became angry because his brother had squandered all that wealth and now his father's celebrating over him. God has such a gracious heart. Sometimes we wonder why God does such gracious things for people. Why are you doing it for that guy? Lord, if you really knew what he's like, you wouldn't, wouldn't have blessed him with that promotion. He said, I had to do it. He said that, that he began pleading with him. The Father, it says in verse 28, His Father came out and began pleading with Him. His Father's pleading with Him. Come in. This is His Father pleading with Him. Come in. Come in, Father. Come come in, Son. Come in. He's pleading with Him to come in. But He says to His Father, Look, for so many years I've been serving You. Imagine that. The Son says to his father, Look! It's not a very respectful thing. You know, you say to a child, Look! Look! You don't say to a father, Look! He says to his father, Look! For so many years I've been serving you and I've never neglected a command of yours. I've never neglected a command. How can he say that? His father's begging him to come in and he's neglecting that. Right in the midst of his neglecting his father's wishes, he's saying, I've never neglected any of your commands. Look how presumptuous we can be. I've obeyed you all this time, Lord, and what have you done for me? And sometimes we're so blind that we can't even see all of our disobedience. And he says, and you've never given me a young goat so that I may celebrate for my, with my friends. You give him a fattened calf. Big thing. You've never even given me a young goat. Well, why would you want a young goat? Oh, because I want to celebrate with my friends. Well, there you go. There you go. You're all messed up on what your motivations are. But here's what he says. He says... In verse 31 he said, son, again he reiterates, son, you are my son. You have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. This is what he says to his son. Everything that I've ever had is yours. Sometimes we can live in the presence of God, knowing God, and have no appreciation for all that he's given us. Have so little understanding for all that we possess already. And we live like beggars in his own home. He said, you've been in my own home. Everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. This is what he says to his son. He says, you better learn to enjoy what you've got. And I will rejoice in your brother coming home. And I ask you to come in and be with us. There's the knowingly unrighteous that come back repenting. And then there's those who are self-righteous. This is what he calls for us, and this is what he has before us, is two sets of ways that we can be, be dealt with: that there are those who are lost, and we want them to return, and those who are self-righteous and they're living outside, the blessings of God. In Luke chapter 18, verse 11, Jesus told another, another parable. The Pharisees stood, Luke 18:11, the Pharisee stood and was praying to himself, "God, I thank you that I am not like other people." Swindlers unjust adulterers or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week I pay tithes of all that I get but the tax collector standing some distance away Was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying God be merciful to me a sinner I tell you this man went to his house justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled But he who humbles himself will be exalted. So he gives this parable of two men in the temple one a Pharisee One, a tax collector. The Pharisee, it says, was praying thus to himself. wasn't praying to God. Jesus characterizes this as praying thus to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Nothing wrong with fasting. Nothing wrong with paying tithes. But when we justify ourselves by it, then we become the pharisee and the tax collector was just beating his breast saying God be merciful to me a sinner I invite you back to the Lord wherever you are whether you're the one that has gone astray or whether you're the one who feels so self-righteous the Lord invites both of us both of those of us back to him he says, It says in Second Corinthians 6, 2, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. That's what the Scriptures say. Don't harden your heart. Soften your heart. There is a danger if we keep hardening our hearts. There is a danger in Hosea, chapter 4, verse 17, it says, God proclaims over a man, He's given unto idols, let him alone. There is a point at which God will say, Just let him alone. I hope he comes back, but just let him alone. God allows us to hear his voice. And he allows us a day of salvation. And then He comes with us with even stronger commandments. Last night, I gave you an appeal. Now let's take it a step further, because the Scriptures themselves do. In 1 John 3.23, He confronts us again with the truth of the Gospel. He invites us many times to take hold of the truth of the Gospel. Great invitations He gives us. In 1 John 3.23, He changes His tone a little bit. He says, this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. This is His commandment. He's no longer saying, let's reason together. He's no longer saying, here's an invitation. He says, this is His commandment, that we believe on His Son, Jesus Christ. He commands us. In Psalm 119, verse 60, it says, "I hasten and did not delay to keep your commandments." We are to hurry to obey His commandments. You say, "I want to wait." You know why hurry? Such a decision because it's a command of God. Remember, every word in the Bible is true. Everything you can't get past any of it. It will all happen and come to pass. You think I'll never uh, this? I'll never get caught on this. I'll never get caught on that. You'll get caught because when God says it, when His Word says it, heaven and earth splits apart at His command. When He says, it shall happen, it's going to happen. We can't get away from it. Every word in the Bible is true. Every jot, every tittle, every little mark is true. This is the truth of God that's here. In, in John chapter 3, verse 18, it says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. If we do not believe, we are condemned. It's not, oh, well, he's a pretty good guy. No, we are condemned, it says. This is not my word. I'm just reading what it says. I'm reading what the text says. And there's a danger in this. Jesus described hell. Now, I've I've never been there, so I don't know what it looks like. But the Bible does give us a description. Jesus, quoting from the Old Testament, says in Mark 9.44, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So He describes hell like this. He says there's a worm there that's sent to torment people, and it says their worm does not die. So there's an individual worm for individual people, That you can't kill, and it's just there to torment them. And there's a fire that's burning, and you can't put that fire out. That's how Jesus described it. Now the Bible says that He was there in the beginning, and He created all things. So He must know. But it's also described by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 9. Isaiah actually gives us a much deeper description of hell. Really interesting. I've never been there again, right? We've never been there. We've never seen it. So what does it look like? Here's what Isaiah says, the prophet says. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 9 through 11. Sheol from beneath is excited over you to meet you when you come. It arouses for you the spirits of the dead, all the leaders of the earth. It raises all the kings of the nations from their thrones. They will all respond and say to you, even you have become weak as we. You have become like us. So he says, when you come up to the entrance of hell, let me tell you what it's going to look like. This is what Isaiah says. He says that they're going to rejoice. Hey, here's another one. They're going to rise up and they're going to say, hey, you've become weak just like us. Glad to have you. Come on in. And then they're going to show you where you're going to spend eternity. Remember, this is not my words. This is what he said. This is his description of hell. In verse 11, he shows you what, he shows us what the bedroom looks like in hell for the individual. Isaiah is quite descriptive. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 11. Your pomp and your music of your harps have been brought down to Sheol. Maggots will spread out as your bed beneath you and worms are your covering. Whoa. There's your bedroom. See that pile of maggots over there? That's your bed beneath you. And those worms over there? As soon as you lie down, the worms will come over you and be your covering. That's a pretty severe place. That's what He said. We have a Father that comes to us and says, Come to me. Come to me. Wherever you have been, come to me. Come to me. And he welcomes us back. But today is the day you're to come. You're not to put this off. Why? Why is today the day? Because it might be too late. Nobody knows how long they're going to live. Nobody knows what time you have. Nobody knows when God is going to say, Just let him alone. He's gone unto idols. Today, if you hear his voice, Come to him. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 24 through 33, Proverbs chapter 1, is another description of what it can be like. And I would never say this to anybody. I would never say this. But the writer of the book of Proverbs is quoting God. And this is the words that God says in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 24. Because I called you and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you. Then you will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. So they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But he who listens to me shall live securely and be at ease from the dread of evil. Let's listen to the Lord. Let's listen to the Lord and come to Him. If we've been walking self-righteously, let's return to Him. If we wandered far, return to Him this day. Or else the calamity may come. And He will laugh. He will laugh. Because today you hear His voice come to Him. In Acts chapter 16, 31, it says, Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. What must I do to be saved, the jailer said? and the apostle said believe on the lord jesus and you will be saved so simple believe on the lord jesus romans 10:9 that if you confess with your mouth that jesus is lord and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you will be saved i encourage you to do that this day and we'll close with isaiah chapter 43 verse 25 which I think are some of the most comforting words that he has for us. Isaiah 43:25. the same man who described to us that description of hell with maggots as your bed and worms as your covering. He says, God says in verse 25 of Isaiah 43, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake and I will remember your sins no more. Come to the Lord. Today, I will pray. And as I pray, if you do not know the Lord, I ask you, pray with me and invite the Lord into your heart. If you've walked self-righteously, pray with me. And let's offer our hearts to God because He is there, ready to forgive. He says, I will remember your sins no more. Let's pray. Abba, Father, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. Father, thank you that your word gives before us warnings and encouragement. Father, I thank you for giving us this parable that we see the Father's heart where he welcomes us back. He says, my son, come. To both his sons, he encouraged them in. Lord, I pray. That you come and visit us this morning with the sense of your presence. And if you don't know the Lord this day, pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Come into my life. I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe that he's risen from the dead. And Lord, for those that have walked, those of us that walk in self righteousness, Pray this prayer with me. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for my self-righteousness, for thinking that I have done so much, yet never enjoying the pleasures that God has for me because I thought I welcomed myself into this house. Father, I pray that You would come upon us today. Father, work in each heart here. Lord, I know each heart here is precious to You. Save the souls today, I pray. Save them this day by the power of God, by the power of the risen Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Save them today, I pray. The mercies of the Lord be with this congregation, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.